I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. If you think having your own TV show is gifted, listen to our guest, Brian Kilmeade, talk about his journey and what it took for him to be able to host his show on Fox at 8 o'clock. Brian displays his passion, his love for sports, and his quick wit. Welcome our guest, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome, friends. We've got a unique guest, someone who grew up in Long Island and started to work in Chico, California. Brian Kilmeade, welcome aboard. Uh, well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, Jed. So, Regis Philbin, he seems to have given you your first glimpse of television. What was that like, and how did you end up on his show? Well, I mean, I majored that in college at CW Post, Long Island University. I had a chance, so I, I majored in TV uh, and also a minor in political science. And one day they said, hey, as one of these trips, we're going to go behind the scenes at the morning show. And I think Peggy, Peggy Fleming was filling in for uh, Kathy Lee. And I get there, and it turns out they're sold out. They don't have any room for like five <laughs> of us. So I go into the city. we got to come back. They go, listen, they feel terrible. They'll give you passes anytime. So I come back, and they felt bad. They kept seats for us. And then they just asked for volunteers for a George Mitchell segment on hair. So I go, okay, I'll volunteer for that. Ends up being on national television. We dug it up and end up getting a huge response from it with my terrible New York accent. Got a huge uh, response from it. But I, I was doing radio in the college. I was doing play-by-play in color for basketball, lacrosse, football, while playing soccer in school. So I wanted to be a sports guy, and I was. Uh, I had a sports phone to start, uh, 976-1313, before all sports radio. And then I started my own local show. Had a lot of big talent, like Johnny Parker, the strength coach of the Giants, had Parcells on. Had Rocky Cleaver, Ken O'Brien, a lot of that whole era of football players in the New York area. Pat Flatley, Pat LaFontaine, Brian Trottier. So I was able to do a local sports show and really start getting experience. Well, you also did UFC fights. You worked at the Garden covering soccer. So it seems like you've got this sports passion that that's also baked into your son, Brian, who's looking to get into a, uh, into a front office type of position. So is he going to be living your life when he goes into that front office job? Maybe. I mean, I think he would have been a big broadcast, a good broadcaster, but I don't think he wants to do what I want to do. He's also got that mindset of building teams and salary caps. And he worked for the football team at Syracuse. So football was always his thing, but he was a soccer player and a real good athlete, good sense of it. And now he's going to go try to get to law school. But I could see him. I, I get once he gets traction, I think he's going to like transcend everything I did, especially because I didn't have any financial success for 13 from 21 to 35 to 33. I never made my age. 
I was always like doing filling in, trying to do odd stuff, trying to waitering, whatever it took to keep going early on. I don't I hopefully won't have that long a path. Looking at your background in terms of how you had to roll up your sleeves and pay as you went along. How do you get the break at Fox? Kind of interesting is that so I went out, I just I did stand up too. So I picked I packed up and I went to California. And I knew the guys that owned Catch a Rising Star, and I was able to work there, do sales, do stand-up. And then I was able to fill in on All Sports Radio, XTRA. So it was located in San Diego, but they had the L.A. market. I was able to do weekends. I did good enough to do Kings pre- and post-game, making $200 a shift. And then did some stand-up and then got a job at a local TV station out there. But one of the people I did stand-up with, uh, actually I learned from, started doing UFC. And he's like, I don't know anything about it. I think someone's going to die in this ring. We made an octagon. They go, you're the only guy I know who does sports. Do you want to help us out? So I was doing a show with Jim Brown at the time, the running back. Yeah, right. And he's, so he came out. I know he did the, the rumble in the jungle. I think he did a couple of Ali fights. So I go, well, do you want to try this? And he said, yeah, Brian. He goes, if they can give me $20,000 and I, I leave uh, and I get it before I go, I'll do it. And I just go, yeah, for $20,000. They said, fine. So he did, the, he did the first four. So I was able to get a really good tape and head back to New York because I got a job at WLIG uh, as a sportscaster. And within two weeks, the guy that hired me gets fired. And within one month, I get fired. I was one of his guys. So I moved back 3,000 miles, drove across. Before my, my stuff even arrived from California, I'm fired. So I got a job at New Sport. Uh, doing all that was a precursor to ESPN News, and then while I'm at New Sport, someone says, "You know, they're launching Fox News." I go, "No, Fox Sportsnet." I go, "I go, I know, I'm doing stuff with them." And they said, "No, no, Fox News needs a sports guy." So I said, "They go, send it to this tape." Now you know, in our bit, in my business, you could be great, but so if you got to be someone's taste, you got to like you might think I'm good, and you you, know, you might love Bob Costas. Clearly, he's the best. Some people don't like him. Some people love Letterman. Some people hate him. So it's all taste. Well, for some reason, when my tape landed at Fox, the guy there was Chet Collier, who mentored Roger Ailes, who had Merv Griffin and Mike, uh, Mike Douglas and all these, and Regis Philbin. And he just loved my tape. He goes, I want to be my sports guy. They brought me in. They toured me around. So he goes, can you come on tomorrow? I go, I can't. I'm on another channel. He goes, no one watches your channel. Just come <laughs> on. And they go, no one watches our channel either. And I go, because we weren't even on in New York then. So I did it. And Gordy Hershiser, Oral's brother, was a sports guy. And he was upset because evidently he was supposed to be as good as Oral, but he blew out his shoulder. And I knew this was the best job ever. He probably thought it was a bad landing spot. He should have been with the Dodgers or Yankees. So they asked me to do the Sunday show. Within three months, they asked me to be the full-time sports guy. And then after the war started, they said, you could do the news. You could stick around. So gradually, every year, every three years, got a bunch of contracts. I've been around for 25 years. That's my reminder to make sure I don't miss your uh, <laughs> uh So that was it. So I got really lucky, the right place at the right time. But it took me 13 years to get that lucky. So how do you transfer your mindset into news? And how do you start to form a point of view? Of studying. And, you know, I'm not giving a ton of point of view about substantive stuff very early on. You know, in the beginning, you're talking about a lot of social things, a lot of like the view type stuff. And when the news got serious, we used to toss it to news people. But then what happens is 
when you read this much news every day, they used to print it out. Now it's obviously an e-packet every single day. And then you talk to the smartest people every day. So after my interviews are done, I'm talking to the economists. I'm talking to the political scientists. I'm friends with Carl Rove. I get their cell numbers. I keep in touch. I grab lunch. So I'm trying to build the context and connections and also depth of knowledge. Also, I never stop reading. And I've always liked reading. So when these guys give a book, I'm always trying to read the book. And next thing you know, as uh, the 9-11 happens, the election mess takes place, the controversy with uh, you know the historic Obama election, the controversy with Bush and Gore, the, uh, the collapse of the economy in 2008, then you have uh, the pandemic. Now, each time you just pick up more and more knowledge. So now I really feel like my point of view is, is from 25 years of studying five days a week, being on the air six hours a day and studying for three, minimum. You've got your radio show and now you've one nation. You've got a prime spot Saturday nights. How do you prepare and put the packaging together in terms of your team and, and be able to put the compelling uh, materials out there for the audience? Well, I mean, uh, the, the thing is, I'm just figuring out, we only had three shows. I just did one. It's going to air Saturday. Um, so, and I did some sports. Anthony Munoz was on it and uh, Jay Glazer uh, were both on it. But I also interviewed a woman that escaped the Chinese death camps, uh, a, a Uyghur who was able to get out, go to Sweden. She came on through a translator. So, you know, we have fun and it's real. My big worry is to watch the show and go, yeah, I saw that clip. I saw that clip on Jesse's show. I saw that clip on Hannity. So my thing is, even though we're meeting during the week, what's new? You know, that Biden interview with uh, Lester Holt, President Biden interview. Okay, what didn't he air yet? So what could possibly hold up? That's the thing. And I always start what matters most, not saying the breaking news, but what matters most. And I think it's COVID-19. And I think the fact we're losing these restrictions, what took so long, and was that sacrifice for nothing? So I feel that'll hold up Saturday, barring any breaking news, you know, uh, any arrests, if Donald Trump or one of the people around him gets arrested and it's big news, I'll have to come in and do it live. When you when you think about uh, the COVID and the masks, uh, what's going on in the different states, I mean, how do you balance that? I mean, here you are, you, you represent a network that's taken a one point of view where your other networks take other points of view, yet you've been really balanced in the way you've presented information. How do you, how do you, how do you stay balanced? Well, number every- one, you're an expert in management, right? You are. You are able to spot how someone can run an organization. If they are very emotional, are they going to be a great coach? Are they very analytical? Are they going to be motivational if they're too analytical? So you're always judging personalities. Uh, the one thing in management is done is they let us do our thing. So we're running a bunch of our own shows. They really are their own businesses. And yeah, you look and you go, okay, that's what they ran on their show. This is what we run on our show. Okay, enough of COVID. We're going to lead with, uh, let's say, what's the number two story? We're going to lead with crime. We're going to lead with what's happening in New York City. We got some compelling video that just came out, sadly, that we could run with that. So you want to counter, counter that. The other thing our management's done is got hands off. And the way we do it, unless you make a big mistake, the way it's very like sports, the way they like, you know, they like you is if you see a bunch of text messages that say, we need you to, are you going to be available at five? Tucker is not feeling well. Can you do eight? That's how I know I'm doing okay. 
with management, they don't tell you to say anything. I mean, our executive producer puts together, puts someone in charge of an e-packet that provides all this background. The producer comes in and decides the content. The segment, the the bookers are providing a lot of the guests on the contact on news and then uh, people that just have books out and, and feature like Goldie Hawn was on today. That was something that took three weeks to set up. And then there's breaking news, get people call Rove to respond to the 39% approval rating. So I think that uh, the answer to your question is management has given us so much leeway to do the best we can do. And the way we find out if we're doing bad in sports, you have a scoreboard with us is how much you're being used, how much you're being featured, how many of our ideas are being accepted. And if they, if you do something and you're underachieving or they think you're distracted, they will call you in and, and they'll do it in a friendly way. The one thing Fox does, and I was amazed at, if you do four things wrong and three things right, they will point out the three things right. I don't know who's what management team that is, but what happens is you know you did those things wrong. And it's very like sports. You go on the air and you're like, well, I ate that line. I didn't emphasize that right. Bad opening question. You really don't need someone to tell you. But most management will go, yeah, you were not ready for that interview. What they will say is, all right, the, you got a rough start in the beginning. But, man, the way you closed it, that's going to make news. That management philosophy flows here. And what it also does is creates a loyalty. And I know you know this stuff. This is just with a suit on instead of eye black. It creates a loyalty towards like, man, they go to bat for me all the time. And then when I go out and people say, what's it like working at Fox? I go, it's pretty great. Well, how do you know? Well, you know, I don't, when there's a problem, they let me know. And they're mostly in your corner. Once they hire you, you're on their team. So just don't screw up like we've seen people screw up, especially all the networks in our business, my business especially, and they'll back you. I mean, it's pretty much like sports, too. If you're really good, maybe you'll have a little bit more uh, gravitas. But for the most part, you really screw up. and You get involved with the law and you do something unethical. You got to get cut unless you're unless you're Joe Montana. You know, you might be destroyed. So the same thing with our business. There's no net. They will look to support you, but if you do something that's that's that you can't be that's not supportive, you're gone. And I think that's the philosophy they have here. For the most part, I always love when people come from another network, and I love to see when they realize what I just told you. They're not; it's not an audition every day. Once you're in, we're going to watch your back, unless you just seem uncoachable or arrogant. But you probably wouldn't have been hired. Like I was just with Harold Ford, a Democrat, and he's like Brian. I've been on the air for 15 years at MSNBC. I was a congressman. My dad was, you know, had me at the White House at eight years old. I ever, I'm sitting in New York City. I can't pay for a meal. People are sending drinks over. I, I've, I've taken more pictures in the last three weeks than I took in 20 years in the public eye because our viewers have become fans and our management has become supporters. And keep your fingers, I keep my fingers crossed every day. It continues. Well, that's what a coach and a player wants. They want support. And if they, and to your point, if they believe in you, they just, they heighten your confidence level. Absolutely. And it gives you, it gives you self-confidence. So when you think about your radio show audience and now this new audience, how do you manage the differences between the two groups? I mean, less eye contact on the radio, even though they stream no, it. Right, right. But I really have more time to breathe. Almost nothing's written down except for you know, I got rid of my, my paperwork, but like bullet points and verbatims and quotes I have to read. But I really had three hours to find out what I what I like. Like for example, I don't love culture stories. I don't. I'm not saying they're not important, 
But if you're not how if they, your neighborhood complains that you fly an American flag, I think it's terrible. I, I just don't. It's not rewarding. I give you a chance to vent. I say thank you very much. I go to break. I love military. I, I love law enforcement stories. I like the compelling personal stories. Obviously, love sports stories. I love the human drama. I love interesting people like Anthony Robbins. I'm going to his house tomorrow. I spent last week with uh, Master P. Uh-huh. I know he's managing Ricky Williams for a while, and he was in sports management, but he played. So I love, I love that part of it. But, but for the most part, if I get ready for those three hours, I look at that show that I don't produce, and I go, okay, I probably like X, Y, and Z. And I've talked in back, back and forth with the radio producers. So can we find sound to support, uh, let's say, sound to support, well, I'll say this week. Uh, Los Angeles cleaning up its homeless problem in the World Olympics. It was so bad. Why do they, before the Super Bowl, why do they need to clean it up now? I thought homelessness was not a problem, according to the politicians. But now you're embarrassed that we're coming to see you. So, hey, guys, I want to do that. I want to do Joe Biden saying that uh, the generals got it wrong. I didn't know any of that when it came to Afghanistan. But yet that wasn't on the TV show. But I, I, I watched it on other networks and I picked it out. So I'm kind of researching for the six to nine during the six to nine picking out what i like at the same time the radio people are getting ready with probably 50 sound bites for that show and then they they always surprise me yeah on msnbc they just had al sharpton on and he was complaining about crime in the city right i didn't know that i was on right so it's, it's that type of workflow and i'm just trying to figure out this one now too so when you think about the super bowl and its impact on society today, where we have the divisions, when you look at the different polls, I mean, you've really got the liberals, you've really got the ultra conservatives. How do you think the Super Bowl is an event that kind of pulls all those different groups together, if you, if you do believe that? Jed, how many have you been to? Been to live? Yeah. Only one. And when uh, I coached, my deal was, if I couldn't get there as a coach, I wasn't going to uh, go. But my son wanted to go to see one because he wanted to see Brady play. And uh, that's the only time I've been. How about you? Like 22, like Super Bowls. Yeah. So I know like uh, when I did all sports radio when they were in 90, was doing XTRA. They were out there, I think, in 91 in Los Angeles. So to do Radio Row was a thrill. Uh, to be actually on it was unbelievable. And then uh, I would be able to do that. Next year, I'll be able to do it. But I think the whole normalcy of having an event, I hear, I keep asking people the same question. Does it feel like a Super Bowl? And they say it does. You know, if you got to work around with masks and people are going to be walking around asking your vax card and then they're going to say separate, but they don't, they're not doing that, it seems. So I think that sense of normalcy, I want to see a packed stadium unlike last year. I don't want to see N95 masks. I want to see that halftime show. I don't want to see anyone miss the game because they're COVID positive. These are the types of things so I could focus on football again. The other thing that's unifying about the game is a lot of people are there just for the event. So you don't really get the typical Raiders. You know, the Raiders visiting the Steelers, and obviously that's a divided stadium. You have a lot of people here who are just rich, lucky, fans, corporate. So you're going to get more of, a, I think, people are going to be like momentum-driven fans. So 80,000, maybe 20,000 are Bengal fans, 20,000 are Ram fans, maybe more. And then you have the others in between who just want to see a good game. I think, as you said, the Super Bowl usually – has more of the professional people there, not as not as loud of crowds because it's so much it costs so yeah. much so much to get in. But I think 
from my perspective, what I'm asking is our audience as they watch the Super Bowl, taking away all the pandemic issues, what do you think that does in terms of bringing the nation together to watch the game as opposed to all the divides we've got? Yeah, I think think it's absolutely going to help. But that's why it was so disconcerting to see the big debate being about standing for the national anthem, taking a knee. Then people like, really? I I need this on football? I mean, we really got to do this? And then it got out of control. People were so resentful because that was our escape. It's like going into the sauna and then be finding out there's a lecture in the sauna. Like, really? I'm supposed to be relaxing. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I, my hope, and I think we're getting past that. And look, I don't think they were thrilled with the Brian Flory story. I don't think they're thrilled with the what came from that, the tanking story. You know, th- those are like real life, race and sports, back and front and center. Uh, with, with tanking is a sports story. But now it's a bigger story because of something I'm never going to be comfortable with, the prevalence of betting. The pre- betting was always there. I'm not an idiot. But now that it's everything's betting, everything's point spread, we don't even know who's a fan. We just know where their money is. I, I'm, it's disconcerting, to be honest. But now with the tanking and the betting, it makes it a bigger story. I, you would know better than me. But now all of a sudden, wait a second, the Dolphins were trying to lose. The Browns were trying to lose. We know the Eagles were trying to lose last year against the Redskins. They're now the Commanders, the Watch Football Club. We know that. So what if you had the Eagles because they were the better team? You didn't know that they were trying to get the better draft pick. So I think that there's a the tanking thing could be addressed, but I think those are two real issues got into the game. Let's hope there's no incidents, police incidents, Eugene Robinson incidents leading up to the game. But I think, like you said, it could be a unifying thing because a lot of people are getting together. They don't really like football that much, but they can't wait to get together, and they don't want to be reprimanded. They don't want their neighbors telling on them if they had a party of more than 10. And I think if all those things happen, then I would say, if you have me back, yet, I'll go, can you believe how normal we felt during the Super Bowl? My well, and, of course we do. And you've got a large portion that want to watch, they watch the halftime. They aren't even interested in the game. They want to hear the, they want to hear the band. They want to hear the entertainment. And the commercials, right? And, and the they want to see the commercials, yeah. You know, I mean, and everybody's, everybody's going to look for the rankings of the commercials, right? What was the, yeah. what was the hottest? What was the, what was the best commercial? I mean, that's yeah, the investment they put in. Sure. You know, they want to pay off and they want to make sure I'm very curious. If, you know, someone's going to surprise you. It's going to be is there going to be an Apple ad? You know, we, we don't know. Is Jeff Bezos going to advertise for who wants to be the next uh, astronaut? We'll see. Well, those are all interesting, all interesting questions. And you continue with uh, your Irish and Italian background to have that humor and ability to smile and you just have a certain way to reach your audience. I mean, I find it uh, attractive and uh, compelling. Okay. And I appreciate you willing to spend some time with our audience today. So thank oh, absolutely. You. And I appreciate the time and the advice you gave, you gave my son and your remarkable career. You're able to stay in football and still wear a suit for a living. <laughs> if you choose, which yeah. is, I think, everyone's goal. 